following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Welcome to another edition of 90 Super Cinema, the exclusive podcast recorded for the patrons of Wizards, the podcast guide to comics. I podcast well. I podcast very well. I'm Adam. And with me tonight are the other heroic podcasters of Champion City, people who don't bag and board their comics make him furious. It's Michael. I guess I have a rage problem, apparently. <laughs> if any of us do, it's you. Oh, great, uh, thanks. <laughs> and the man who knows that to podcast like a master, you must first master the podcast. It's Pete. Hey, you know, I, I was going to come out with that. Uh, I shovel well. I shovel very well line, but you <laughs> took it. So I guess instead I'll just say, fork you. <laughs> I will say this. I am prepared with two alcoholic beverages here that I'm ready, which is called Tipsy Punch from the Great South Bay Brewery here on Long Island. And it's it's a superhero-themed can, which is oh, why I really yeah. like it. But it's delicious. It's like drinking fruit punch. But I figured if we're going to discuss another one of these fantastic pieces of <laughs> cinema, I needed something to drink. That being said... Of the movies that we have reviewed on this show, this is the least piece of garbage of all of them. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. I was just Far like, enough. Michael's going to actually feel some relief finally seeing this movie. And uh, I have to say this, and, and I, I'm going to bring this up, and I want to just keep this in your mind throughout the entire podcast. Even though Mystery Man is a dark horse comic, I think that this movie lives in the same universe as Batman and Robin. The sets are very similar. The style is very similar. It's shot similarly. It feels like it could be another city in that universe of that version of Gotham City. And I just went the whole ride like, this is something adjacent to that movie. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, yeah. I knew you were going to think that. It's like, is this Batman forever? Is this Batman and Robin? Because, yeah, the neon lights and everything. Well, I was going to say, and I don't know if you know this or not, Adam, because I, I know you're like somebody that likes to go behind the scenes facts, too. But it looks like the Schumacher movies because it's filmed on a bunch of the Schumacher sets. Oh. <laughs> yes. Yes. It, it, they ended up because it's also uh, uh, Warner Brothers. They ended up reusing a bunch or uh, Universal, I guess. was they, They're. Yeah. Something, but they they used a bunch of their sets for this, so that's why you're getting that vibe in some of those. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. So Chris even, O'Donnell could be driving by in the yeah. Batmobile any moment. Even just like the the hokey stretch Corvette limousine, I'm like, this is something that Schumacher would have done in Batman and Robin for sure. Yeah, th so. this is one of those movies. It definitely has its own vibe. I, we're going to get into it. That's what sets it apart. I want to just bring up here real quick just the background because. Mystery Men comics. Ring a bell for either of you guys at all. Yes. I mean, the early, like, 
1930s they had a you know in a, a book or stories they called mystery men yeah yes it was a term yeah, yes, always a term like you know pre-world war ii and watchmen i think they kind of like tap into that a yeah like they, they kind of like, use yeah. the, the the idea of who watches the watchmen or even if you think of it like just even the just society is kind of like a mystery men adjacent sort of a people in masks right yes. yeah yeah Avengers yeah i was about to say like for me it, it's just like who's that masked mystery man like you know yes. it's, it's it's been in the vernacular forever but i i had to look it up because i was like was this based on a comic property and i i imagine you can do a much better job. There it is. <laughs> I'm well, talking about here, it. But... Yeah, that, that's the thing. So originally, the idea of Mystery Man in this form came from just two issues of the Flaming Carrot comic book by Bob Burden. I'm a big fan. I've talked about it on the podcast in the, in yes. the past. Like, I he's just so bizarre and hilarious. But like, the carrot is dreaming in a hammock. He has a flashback to his days fighting with the team of bizarre heroes. Now, Burden originally was pitching to dark horse he's imagining a whole line of mystery men comics one that would be all about villains one that would be about heroes of the past one that would be you know present and they said you know what let's just consolidate it into one we love the idea but let's just let's just bring it into one and then he had a bunch of artists come in and actually like just he would write it different artists would draw it but while that's happening Dark Horse Comics is having all the success. They're having more success than Marvel in the 90s getting movies made in Hollywood, right? They have The Mask. They have yeah. Time Cop. They have Virus. The only bomb in that run is Barbed Wire with Pamela Anderson, you know? <laughs> There's even an well, animated what was series. What was Tank Girl under? Was Tank Girl... Um... Tank Girl wasn't Dark Horse officially. That was like kind of a British comic that got brought over. <laughs> uh, but, but basically, same idea, right? Yeah, yeah. same vibe. And so uh, then... Uh, Mike Richardson, the head of Dark Horse, takes it over to Larry Gordon, Lloyd Levin at Universal. They buy it in 1997. Guys, Mystery Men comics had not been published yet. There was just those two issues of Flaming Carrot. And he said, these are some weird characters. And they said, <laughs> it sounds great. And so they just went with it. And the four issues of the comic came out concurrently with the movie but it was not based on any existing storyline or anything oh, wow. like that it was just mr furious the shoveler the spleen and the sphinx all of those characters are either mentioned or actually seen in these four issues or in the the two flaming carrots but that's it so hmm. there was nothing to base this on it's all an invention of this production team wow that's cool so i don't even know where to begin in this movie we're thrown into very similarly to the Schumacher Batman and Robin, where like the movie starts off with an action scene and like, you know, a robbery or, you know, thugs and what have you. And these more or less wayward heroes who may or may not have superpowers <laughs> um, that are, you know, just trying to be heroes. And, you know, then the real superhero, uh, Captain Amazing or Ap Captain, you know, you comes it. in and saves the day. And, you know, he's brilliantly played by, what's his name? Greg like, Kinnear. Greg Kinnear. That's right. Yes. So good. So good. He's phenomenal. And, he, and you know, and, you know, that he's the real hero. And these guys are a couple of jokers. And, you know, Ben Stiller in this movie is doing his best Ben Stiller. Like, he's like, he is all the way in. I mean, he was 
almost as far in as I would say when he is in like dodgeball. <laughs> just like well, and it's very similar, right? These guys are the underdog superheroes, yeah. and dodgeball, right? It's the story of an underdog, right? Yeah. So like that—that's a hundred percent like his vibe in this moment in time. That's what he thrived in. I I think that is a hundred percent right. But what you're saying about that too is like you know jumping into that action scene and all of that. I think it's just it's worth mentioning that the setup when you set it in a fancy nursing home yes. they're having some sort of dance and then <laughs> it's almost like a bacchanal nursing home yeah and Arnie Lang <laughs> is leading a gang of criminals in to rob them like it just, just prosthetic yeah, arms and the cameos <laughs> in this movie are hilarious oh, yeah. from... no not to be it, it, not to be outdone yeah they're insane <laughs> like him dane cook shows up like hilarious a lot of these people michael were bay nobodies. is one of those frat guys <laughs> yeah. so bizarre the thing i want to bring up to it you know michael you said this is better than most of the movies that we've covered at this point in time and i think a lot of that has to do with the writing but there, there's kind of something behind it because the writer of this movie, uh, his name is Neil Cuthbert. He So he's credited. He wrote the final script of Hocus Pocus, The Adventures of Pluto Nash, and my personal favorite, The Return of Swamp Thing. But this poor guy, every one of those movies, some of them were reclaimed as cult classics, but they were box office bombs, bombs. when they came out. So you got this guy's IMDb is very short. Yeah. <laughs> but he structured a movie because in behind the scenes interviews and things, a lot of the actors just said, I read the script and it was hilarious. I'd never seen anything like it. That's why I signed on. That's why you're getting an Oscar winning actor, Jeffrey Rush's first American film. I mean, that's insane because it was so clever. So there's something to be said for that and just the whole pacing of the film everything pays off anything that's set up it pays off later everybody gets a resolution that needs one like it is just solid solid script you know what's funny so, about it also is like everybody in the cast plays their character beautifully like they have all these comedians and then you have like you said jeffrey rush who's like like a, a renowned actor you have william h macy I think not far off of, you know, Fargo. Yeah. And he's very much playing that kind of same sort of Fargo character, uh, you know, that little, you know, Magoo-ish in a way, but <laughs> before he becomes the shameless character that he's that he is today. Um, but each one of them is so interesting. And, you know, Pee Wee Herman is in his, I would say, second most grotesque next to Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah. <laughs> what were you thinking, Pete? Oh, no, I was just going to say, I mean, like, I feel like with this, you've got to start at the start, too. And, and in your vein, talking about people that have a short IMDb, um, you know, sort of thing to it. The director, uh, Kinka Usher, um, for those who aren't in the know, uh, very famously uh, was a commercial director. Um, he did the Taco Bell dog. He did a lot of the Got Milk campaigns. You know, he did a lot of like and went on after this to do a lot more, you know, big time commercials. But this was his first and last Hollywood movie. No way, and, really? And his last? Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, no, he has not done a thing since. He has the one credit. And, um, you know, Hank Azaria uh, had an interview where he was talking about it and said that, like, basically he got on the set, thought this was going to be, like, he wasn't interested in really doing, like, Hollywood movies because he's like, you know, a lot of times they bring in directors like me to give it some sort of visual style, but then the stories are lacking in plot or whatever. And so he's like, 
he he initially saw the script for this and thought it was boring. He thought it wasn't very good, but then he's like, you know what? I want to like work with them on this. I want to see if I can get it to like where it's a little bit more character based, which goes a little bit to what you're saying, Michael, where like it starts being about like who are these characters and what yeah. are they personally, which is, I guess, not in the initial scripts exactly where that was at. So it, he did succeed. You know, I think he has a really cool visual style with this. I think he made it look and feel very comic-y. And I think he got the script and, and the actors to where they needed to be. But he said to, to Hank Azari, he's like, this is the last time I'm doing this. I want to get back to commercials. I'm having a really? lot more fun doing one minute shorts than, than dealing with all the nonsense. Cause this That's was like so a funny. big budget movie, you know, yeah. this was like a 60 million plus. Wow. Um, budget well, movie. And that's that's a lot of like reins to take on, you know, for your first time. <laughs> it is. Well, it, it is funny, too, because, yeah, the, the product did come out so well, even though it was not a hit, it wasn't well received. But like it said, Ben Stiller said the script was literally being reworked all the time by everybody because everybody kind of wanted to personalize their part, try to make it as funny as possible. And so like the director even says like, yeah, I just we, we were redoing everything and we didn't really have a script. So I think that's why why everybody is so on point because they're a hundred percent like you're it's on you do yeah. your best work and they brought it now the funny thing is because this director i think like we said did a great job and by the way kinka usher sounds like some weird european <laughs> guy he's like the most normal dude like if you just he's a, some american maybe he's canadian but he just sounds like an american guy he's just like yeah you know and we were just having a great time on set it was really fun you're just like that's not what i was expecting from kinka usher but, speaking of that though like yeah. By saying they're all having a lot of fun, this movie doesn't take itself super serious. Like it knows that it's well, like a, a satire in a way. That's and, well, it is, and that's why this movie works. You know, like it. The funny like line that this movie kind of rides is that it is a spoof movie. It's meant to be a spoof of you know comic book characters, superhero characters. I think the movie is slightly ahead of its time in so much as that like the only other real superhero movies happening at this time are the Batman movies, which yeah. are kind of almost self parodies in a way that at times with themselves, they're, you know, they're very jokey. You got your bat nipples and your bat credit card and the whole nine yards, yeah. you know? So if, I think if this came that, out, so... the, if, if this came out in the time of like my super ex-girlfriend and those kind of movies where they were trying to, you know, hark onto like other superhero-y, things it might have done even better because they'd be like this is like a joke on iron well, man I think and a joke the evolution on, you know. of this is the boys you know what i mean i think what yeah. you <laughs> end up with and you know like now and like people kind of like tired of superhero tropes and like you know all this sort of thing is something like that given mm -hmm. it's a lot more dark than than this film is but um i think that's that's where you get to that point from for sure you know <laughs> Yeah, well, and it feels this is the thing like there's an alternate reality where the movie fails, I think, for a different reason because I think it would have been very different. Because originally, Danny DeVito was supposed to be directing it, he was developing it. He said he quit it after a disagreement over the musical artists who would appear on the soundtrack. That was his reasoning. I, yes. I, got, I gotta say, this I'm sorry to keep interrupting everybody, but I gotta say, the music of this movie is so much of that era of that time <laughs> like it is like like a, a time capsule of the music of like 1997 98 99 like between the smash mouth songs and everything you're just like it's literally like a time capsule of that 
But to get back to Danny DeVito too, you know, he was originally slated to not only direct, but also play the shoveler. Can you imagine that <laughs> character and the differences from William H. Macy as Danny DeVito playing that character? Um, and then they kicked it over to Ben Stiller. They wanted him to direct it next before he was ever even thought of as being an actor in this film. They wanted him to direct it, but he was coming off of uh, Cable Guy, which was also kind of a, a miss. Um, and he didn't want to do it. And then when they, uh, I guess Janine Garofalo got cast, she's a good friend of his, brought him back to it and originally as the Blue Raja, but he didn't want to be typecast as like a nerdy character coming off of, um, uh, what's, uh, what the, uh, Mary, um, something about Mary. I was, I was about to say chasing Amy and I'm like, that's not right. <laughs> that's, <laughs> I don't know. I have chasing Amy on the brain lately, but, um, but, uh, you know, he ends up over in the role of Mr. Furious and like takes that in a very different direction, too, is my understanding, because they originally wrote that as a guy who was genuinely angry the whole time. And he felt that was like too one dimensional. So he brings it back down to to what he is. So I, it's it's interesting. It goes back to what you're saying that I think each person came into this and maybe it's because there wasn't like a you know, really experienced, really dedicated director who had like an extreme vision for what this needed to be, that it was almost more like loose and everybody could kind of take a different, you know, like tack on what these characters were going to be, whether it's like William H. Macy playing that role very earnestly or, you know, Ben Stiller taking this character whose whole power is becoming furious <laughs> and sort of taking that away from most of the movie where it's like, to your point, Michael, before, like, does he even really have a power, <laughs> <laughs> like it's kind of funny well and I, I think it's hilarious too like because they pointed out eventually when they're trying to psych him up and get him furious again and you know Janine Garofalo is just like oh you, you try to be quippy and it's terrible it just comes out <laughs> as mixed metaphors does that make you angry <laughs> but, but like that but that whole run of Ben Stiller just be like check her head yeah, you better you, you better hope that when you wake up, I'm asleep. <laughs> Lilac. <laughs> it's like, he can't get out any insults. He can't get out any quips that make a lick of sense. And I think that's great. Again, I'm sure that was all him. That was all him coming up with that. But the other thing that I love about this movie, and as someone who appreciates the source material, they did say that Bob Burden was actually consulted during production. So the writer of the comic, they would say when they were stumped in how a scene should go, the producer here says, there were times that we were kind of stumped in a scene and we asked him what he thought. The great thing about him is that 10 minutes later, we'd get 30 pages of the fax machine with probably 29 pages filled with the lousiest ideas you've ever read. <laughs> but that one page of pure genius. And that's Bob Burden's writing. It's just nice. like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Oh, that was pretty clever. You know? <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. You know, you know. I mean, like, isn't Eddie Izzard one of the disco guys in this movie? Yeah, yes. Like, like, come on, he's hilarious. And you know, you could even see that he kind of made his character a little bit his own in a way. And 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 each each person had this little nuance to their their thing. Even you know, Janine Garofalo. This is probably her most likable role for me in any movie she's ever been. Like I just, she's just like, she's just fun and funny. And the way she just has this, you know, conversation with the bowling ball, a la, you know, Tom Hanks talking to Wilson, the volleyball, <laughs> but more like aggressively, like it's her dad, but like you genuinely believe that she's like getting a conversation from this skull in a bowling ball. And 
And you're just like, wow, this is hilarious stuff. And she just owns it and sells it, which is amazing. I mean, what I'll say is I think one of the things for me, at least, and I think for other people, it sounds like both of you that this movie really works on a level for is that this movie really shouldn't work. Yeah. Like it's a lot of really bizarre disjointed ideas that don't really share a common theme. It's kind of like these characters are all over the place and like Casanova Frankenstein, like what? Like, you know, it's like <laughs> what an amazing it's just name. Such like an utterly bizarre set of ideas, you know, an enchanted bowling ball with the skull of her father, you know, like, I mean, it's like, <laughs> It's it's so trippy and so weird. You know, like the guy they go to that's like the weapons expert. He yes. also rents chickens. And they even say in the movie, like, who would rent a chicken? You know, like it's it's so full of just weird, trippy stuff. And I think that's where you're going to hit that, like, love it or hate it sort of line. And I was watching this with uh, my wife, Angie, and like, I was just like, I was giggling and like all this like weird stuff. And like, she's just like, God, this is awful. And I was like, that's the line. It's like, you're either going to be on one side or the other and I can't say that this is like my favorite movie ever, but it, it's not unenjoyable really no, at any point throughout it. It's it just kind of maintains this like fun, goofy air throughout. So Pete, you remember we we reviewed uh, National Lampoon's Loaded Weapon One, which yeah. is more in the style of like the scary movie type of a spoof, airplane. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I feel like if that movie took the tone of this style of movie where it's not, you know, weird, quippy little vignettes of things, but has some sort of there's actually an overarching narrative and a plot to the yeah. story that that sort of meanders its way to where it's got to go. And it works in that, like you're sitting here like I would say in the first and I have I've watched this movie once before, you know, back in the, in the theaters. and I haven't seen it in 20 something years. And I sat there in the first minutes. I'm like. How is this movie going to steer itself in the right direction? And it does. Usually by like minute 10, you're like, oh, this is going to be rough. But like 15 minutes in, it sort of figures out where it's going and it tells its story in a way. And I'm just like, all right, it it actually works. It's shocking. Well, I think like, you know, compared to like those type of like really silly joke, I was going to say joke a minute, but like joke every 10 seconds sort of spoof movies this backs off of that in favor of like some more what I would attribute to it as being very kind of like clever jokes. Like, you know, it's not necessarily something where you go to like sit and think about it terribly long or whatever, but like, like again, like for me, one of the funny things is I think when I was younger, I really liked Ben Stiller's character, but when I was rewatching this again, I was really, really in it for the shoveler and William H. Yes, Macy's yeah, character. Too, yeah. And he really has some of the best lines of the movie, like, you know, the one we certainly cited, but one of the other ones I loved is he says something along the lines of like, you know, we're on a date with Destiny and she just ordered lobster or something like that. <laughs> yeah. It's just like... It's such like a throwaway line, but it's also really kind of like fun and clever. And it it made me giggle when he said it. And it's just like, there's great little things in there like that. Well, he has a whole monologue about the egg salad sandwich. My wife won't let me touch this stuff. It's loaded with cholesterol. So are we going to go save the day or am I going to eat this sandwich? (laughs) Yes, it's hilarious. Even his little monologue to his wife before he leaves the big battle. She's like, I'm not going to be here when you get back. He goes, You got to, whatever he says, I got to do what you got to do or something. It's a chance I'm going to have to take. Yeah, there might not be a home to come back to. Yeah. But but the funny thing is, like, you know, you go into this movie thinking 
Ben Stiller is the main character. I really think in a lot of ways, William H. Macy is the character that has the biggest arc because he he rises to become the leader, mm-hmm. you know, where Ben Stiller's arc, yes, he, he realizes that he's not always furious and he can just be Roy. But I feel like, you know, the shoveler rises up to the, the occasion to become the leader of the mystery man in a way, you know, he's the, yeah, the hero. Well, it- and I think, like, it's also to its credit that a character like the spleen, whose <laughs> power is farting, you know what I'm saying? Like, if that, he just comes down to that, he has flatulence powers, and you're just like, that could have just been so gross, like, the whole movie, and annoying, and it's not. He's, like, the sweetest guy on the team, right? He's the nerdy kid from the neighborhood who wants to play with you, and you don't want to, but he's a nice guy, ultimately, so you'll let him hang around with you. Like, it's it's just, like, kind of that weird situation where every character, and I think that is the secret sauce of the movie, everybody's optimistic, everybody's believing they can rise to it, even when they're saying they don't believe in themselves, like, they're like, but I still want it, and I still want to be a hero, and I still still want to do the right thing there's not like a cynical edge to the movie on any level nobody's being mocked none of the characters are looked down on they're just seen as yeah they're misfits but they look what they could accomplish together yeah. type thing but the but funny that, thing that... on that like i just gotta chime in on the word misfits again because like it, bizarrely for me they're some of the most normal characters in this entire movie yes it's like the is like sort of like the odd thing out is like you know <laughs> You look at them and you're like, in a normal world, like if this was taking place in Gotham or whatever, like they'd be very like weird little low level, like goofball, you know, type of people. But in this world they inhabit, like, you know, with the exception of like, I guess, what is her name? Is it, is it the love interest of um, ben uh, Monica? Ben Stiller's character? Is Monica? It like Mo- Jessica, whatever her name is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was like, I was racking my brain. I was watching, I'm like, I know her from somewhere. And I realized she's um, the main um, actress in Mallrats yeah. is where I knew her from. Um, but, uh, you know, like outside of like that character, like everybody else in this movie, like all the people, like even in that opening scene, like the old folks home, they're like sitting, like watching on the TV, like this like weird, like lingerie sale thing <laughs> with like old ladies in it. And like, it's like this weird ball. And it's like, the city is like this weird, trippy, like futuristic city. Everything's very bizarre in it. And like, they're pretty down to earth, grounded people by and large. So, yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting. And in, in even that um, respect, I feel like. <laughs> I was really surprised Monica didn't show a power at the end of the movie. Like, I thought she was like, like her identity was going to be this diner girl, but then she'd actually have some sort of superpower in the end. And, and you know, I don't see why they didn't pay that off that way, but I could have. It could have gone either way with that. I mean, it might be that she's just really good at tallying up a check. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I gotta say, you know, going back to just like the look of the film, real quick, is just the miniature work in this movie. Just the visual style of it all, overall. Not only is it like cohesive, just in the way that it looks great, but like some of that's. We just saw the Flash. The CG in this movie that they use looks better than the Flash, and it's from I hate that you said that because I was thinking that the whole I time. The same <laughs> thing too, yeah. 
yeah, but, but it's, it's it just and I, I think it's because tune into it, the next episode of Box Office Thirty for more on that. By the way, Michael yeah. and I have thoughts. Yes. <laughs> oh, many thoughts. But but um, he but the thing is also I noticed that you know as somebody who went to film school, you guys are going to understand this. But each character when they have their own private vignettes, like for example, at the home of the shoveler, it's all handheld. So it's done like you're feeling like, you know, you're in this space with them. The, the close-ups and like the really awkward sort of yeah. like weird close-ups. Like, yeah, at ben, at ben Stiller's, you know, his boss, jacket, you know, it's always right up on her face. Or like, even like the Blue Raja, I'm pretty sure it has like a canted camera, right? It's, it's, it's a, a little yeah. Dutch angle. But yeah. what's funny, speaking of that particular thing, like, you said something interesting earlier about like everyone, you know, is optimistic. And when he finally reveals to his mother that he wants to be a hero, even she sort of like supports him in yeah. like a in sort of a dig way. She's like, I was saving this China for when I figured you'd get married. But, well, that's not going to happen. But he- <laughs> <laughs> well, but then Hilarious. she's like, do the accent. Yes. <laughs> my mom used to say that to me because I was always doing weird accents around the house. So I was just like, ah, oh, warm my heart. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so let me ask you guys this, though. Like, as far as like even just it, it is a, you know, parody of superhero tropes. But what was like your favorite action scene? Because there's a lot of well choreographed like fight scenes and just fun moments. Is there one that stands out to you the most? Well, as I mentioned earlier, the, the scene with the stretch Corvette fight scene where they're like attacking the Corvette and like he he like forks the car and he's hitting with the shovel. Well, I, I love Stiller when William just... H. Macy puts the shovel down and launches Ben Stiller up on top. That's cool. <laughs> yes. And she and the bowler throws the ball through the window. That to me was so hilarious. The the fork part got me the best. But like I'm looking at the scene and I'm like they filmed this on one of the sets that they used in Batman and Robin for sure. It's the same they kind just of street. Lit it up and set yes. it dark or something. But yeah. I also love the when when you have uh you know Casanova Frankenstein there there's like where is captain amazing i would like the double burger and the large french fries <laughs> and the pepsi with a little bit of ice you know he yeah. just mocks them so heavily <laughs> like that is, I, one thing i gotta tell you about that scene michael in you, we mentioned the all-star song being on the soundtrack from smash yes. mouth which after this moment because that was the the official music video for smash mouth this is the first time it was used then it's in shrek it's an inspector gadget it's in it's It's a digimon the movie it it just it was so overplayed till you were just like oh go away but the music video they in you know they intersperse where the actors in the video well, they, no, they just took cuts, you know, okay. they did cut scenes and, and directed by the way, by it. Mick G. <laughs> oh yeah. But then, oh, really? but yes. if they make it seem like the mystery men are villains because they're like attacking the band. They're inside the stretch Corvette and they're throwing the stuff and everything. They're like, ah, you're like, they're being attacked. And you're like, <laughs> why would you do that? They're the good guys. You're not, and they're not villains. Like, anyway, it was just funny. To oh, me. Mick G. Okay. Yeah. Was there a moment? That uh, honestly, I was, I legitimately had the exact same answer. Like there's something so fun and like, <laughs> they finally get their act together to go do this attack and then it's like the most weak sauce ridiculous attack to like you know like you said he's like keying the car with his fork and like they they accomplish nothing like they break like the windows and like somehow i think that's one of my favorite things about any of the fight scenes in this is that they like they just flop back and forth like you know like the bad guys will be doing good and then the good guys will be doing it. and it keeps going back and forth like that and there's no real rhyme or reason to it 
you know, like uh, just to give a different example, I'll cite the uh, the final battle between Mr. Furious and Cassidy uh, over Frankenstein. In so much as that he's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting the rage. It's building. It's like, we've all heard that before. And he's like, no, this time's different, you know, and he, he climbs the forks up the wall. You know, he's, he's padding at the wall, trying to get up. And he climbs the forks up and uh, and then like he's fighting him with his like his like little like fake fingernail, fingernail you know? yeah. <laughs> which he, he takes a moment to like stop and file a little sharper. You know, it's so over the top. It's so ridiculous. You know, I, I, I just love it. Um. Uh, what I would say outside of the fight scenes, and I don't know if this was an upcoming question, so I hate to to jump ahead of it, but I think my favorite scene in this movie is the superhero tryouts because you can just tell that everybody there and whoever put this movie together was just having so much fun coming up with all these just ridiculous different things. And if especially you can go on um, YouTube and find a ton of deleted scenes from this movie. And they have like kind of an extended cut of like all these extra characters that were that were in that. And it's just like some of them are just so utterly ridiculous. It's just like you. It's as if like they just have like a, just a big pile of props. And they're like, all right, go grab some stuff out of the prop pile and make up a character and come over here and like audition for it in a minute. And just the colors and like the poppiness of that scene. It's just like it's so wonderful. You know what's funny about that scene? It reminded me so much of the Weird Al movie with uh, with uh, Daniel Radcliffe because there's a pool party scene there where there's like all these yeah. other like celebrities that show up in this weird sort of party. And I'm just like, it feels like that. it's so bizarre. But yes, I do believe that it was like here, just riff because they just set the camera up at this kind of like a low angle. They shoot up at people and they're like, who can who can see? And they have. Dane Cook with like the, the waffle iron guy. He's like sandwiching his face with a waffle iron. Right yeah. now. My truth yeah, the Griddler, syrup, the which Griddler. is low fat. Yes. <laughs> so funny. I mean, when I first saw this movie, obviously that's the scene that stuck stuck with me. The only two jokes I remembered until, you know, I, I watched it years later on, on home video again was the PMS Avenger. Yes. <laughs> I shovel well. I shovel very well. Like those were like the best jokes in the movie for, for only available four days a month. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I was going to say, you know, the scene that at least stands out to me, I don't know if it's my favorite favorite, because I think all my favorite scenes are Casanova Frankenstein and Captain Amazing and their back and forth. Like oh. their banter is so good. But I love when they go to the invisible kids room, Kel Mitchell, first of all, for like a Nickelodeon kid like me, like Kel's there. I can't believe it. Yeah. How has it taken us this long to bring him up in this episode? I feel yeah. bad now. <laughs> I know. We really should have brought him up. But like in his room, the whole wall escape, you know, is the wallpaper is Dark Horse Comics pages. So there's like the mask, X, Usagi Ujimbo, Grendel, Ghost, the Dirty Pair, Nexus, like so many all over there. There's even like a big poster for this like Comics Greatest World Titan and Martha Washington, whose hair matches Kel's bleach blonde hair. <laughs> but then, of course, I'm most excited because I see Madman comics on the wall and the Madman action figure, which I have just behind me here. It's just in the background on one of his shelves. And I'm just like, oh, so like, yeah, of course, I'm pausing. I'm trying to. But I've, I've always watched it on VHS. And so like I finally we rented it from Amazon this time so my wife could watch it with me. And so I saw it on the big screen. I was like, I can't believe it. But he <laughs> is also he's like the sweet and innocent one. Right. Like he really yeah. brings a lot of heart to everything. And you see like, he's like he knows how to network like that's his power, really. <laughs> 
But when he finally goes invisible and then he comes back from being invisible and they're like, you guys can see me again. I don't know if you heard this, like he's because he's naked because his clothes kind of fall off. Yeah. Somebody goes, two hands, buddy. Two hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, then I think Janine Garofalo, yeah. she's like, whoa, <laughs> two hands. No, and then, she, then she goes, maybe you should put some pants on if you want to keep fighting evil today. <laughs> you know what so... I love about that, too? And it, we could, this could be probably like a whole topic of conversation unto itself is like, what are the powers some of these people have, if anything? And interestingly enough, I feel like his power, power or my take on it this watch around is that we, the audience, can see him as invisible, but him and people in his world don't seem to see him as invisible, which is kind of like weird and interesting, you know? <laughs> yeah, it, it does feel like, yeah, there's a whole like philosophy paper to be written on that in some <laughs> college class. But like also, you know, one thing I want to point out to this, just because 1999, it feels like somewhat groundbreaking on some level, but the fact that we go back to the shoveler, you know, that his, his wife and his family are African-American. Like, yeah, mixed race, you know, yeah. Yeah, you don't know the story what is going on there but like it's it's just so great that it's not brought up at all it's not mentioned i mean we yeah. had a similar thing like you know with Sp the spawn movie was like that like this seemed to be like kind of a, a recurring theme in these films where it's just like yeah you, it's not a big deal but let's just have some representation in the films which i thought was pretty cool i did want to ask you guys like of the characters in the movie who did you relate to the most? I know you said the shoveler, but like if you were going to be a superhero, which of them do you think you would fall in line with? Who would you ultimately end up being? Oh, that's tough. Um, I think I still kind of want to be the shoveler, to be honest with you. Like, <laughs> I don't know what it is. There's probably some like trippy Freudian thing about this because like and, and Mike would probably feel the vein of this similarly because both our dads have been in construction. Both of our dads have spent a lot of time digging holes in the ground with shovels, you know? So like, yeah. there's a little bit of growing up around that culture, but I just love every bit of the concept of that character, right down to like, that he's borrowing his son's baseball umpire, like outfit <laughs> yes, or catcher, yeah. catcher outfit, um, because he feels entitled to it because he paid for it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and like that it's never occurred to him to do anything but try and hit people with a shovel like yeah. you know like the, like essentially the advice he gets from uh what is the sphinx, sphinx. The sphinx yeah. is like oh you know use your hands use your knees you know like like that just hadn't occurred to him you know? <laughs> it's it's so wonderful honestly you know yes i would probably if i had a top pick i would say the shoveler but i really like how hank azaria as the blue Raja like changes his voice and his whole persona <laughs> yeah. and just the ability to throw a fork like that is kind of cool. Like here, hide it, throw it this way. Like just, that was amazing. You know the like, one thing with me with the, the blue Raja and I, I love it, but I hate it later in the movie. I love that. Like <laughs> Mr. Furious calls him out that his outfit has no blue in it whatsoever. <laughs> And then when they make their new outfits, he put blue in it. I was like, I wish that his new outfit also didn't have blue in it. 
Uh, well, I, I have to say for me, like, I don't know what it is about that bowling ball, but the fact that she has just, I mean, she's the one that actually has like a supernatural element to her it's gimmick. Pretty metal, so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the bowler is, is a pretty cool gimmick. I would love and that. It's, it's and like she a pulls off that thing. green like, hair. That, that green yeah, hair that, works for awesome. her. Yeah. It's, it's very like spooky, supernatural kind of metal sort of feel to it, but it also is kind of like gangster feel yeah. to it somehow because like they're like alluding to the fact that he almost like was with the mob or something yeah it's it's and i love that <laughs> i love that like when the whole thing ends she's like all right we're done that was the deal i'm going back to grad school so it's like yeah, <laughs> like she might be done now like like she avenged his death and now yeah go back to grad school it's so funny uh, <laughs> i mean like and i guess like as you look you know we, we've said it's better than most of the movies we've covered but really Looking at 90s superhero movies, like just in terms of like rewatchability, terms of like the ability to actually, again, have a feel good story behind it, the resolutions for everybody. Really, where does this rank for you? Like when you look at everything we got in the 90s, which really wasn't that much, but like comparatively speaking, the quality level of this film from production to writing to the performances I, I really, I would put this in like a top three category to me, just like how, how it's executed. So uh, now are you specifically saying just 90s superhero just movies? 90s superhero movies. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not movies in general. No, just 90s superhero movies. E even like not ones that are comedies. I'm just saying all around how this film plays. Like I can't poke holes in it. Like, can you guys say something you don't like about it? Like, is there actually something where you say, "Well, this doesn't work"? Because to me, everything pretty much works. Um, I can't really poke holes in it. Would I make yeah. it the top three? I don't. I don't know. I think <laughs> you know. I, honestly, I think the best '90 superhero movie is probably Blade. I think Blade is like the most complete, and it really like changed the genre a little bit. You know. Batman Forever is, is you know, lower on my list. Batman Returns is a little bit lower now. You know, Blank Man is still, you know, up there in my top five. I'd say it's in the top ten of, of superhero movies, sure. Um, it's definitely better than things like, you know, Barb Wire and Batman and Robin. Uh, is it better than The Crow? No, definitely not. Uh, I think I like Judge Dredd a little bit more just because it's like Stallone. <laughs> <laughs> I am the law. I am the law. <laughs> I, I feel like I, I look at it and I'm just like, okay, like the mask and Batman Returns is still, I just, I just love it. That's again, totally rewatchable because it's so quirky. And mm. then I think I would put mystery men there. Cause as, as much as I know the crow and blade are like beloved, like for me, I don't want to watch those movies over and over again because they make me feel bad. But I can watch those movies I mentioned on a loop and be fine. Like, they, they cover so many bases for me. The, the opening and ending of Blade, though, oh, my God. that that, that Those two scenes are just unbelievable. You're just like, wow, this is an incredible film. But I understand your point of view. Yes, but, you're more, do, you're more optimistic than me. I, I, I want to ask you guys this, too, because, you know, we're saying we like it now in retrospect, revisiting it. It's a very funny movie. It's got great stuff in it. And obviously some of that is hindsight into saying, oh, well, all these people went on to be huge actors or were, you know, well-respected actors just having a little fun. But, <laughs> Except for Huey Herman. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't Paul Rubens is still beloved now. He's been redeemed. But I guess my question is just the moment in time, like what was the reason 
that it didn't perform because it literally only made half its budget. Yeah, so, I mean, it was a flop. flop. <laughs> so why did it not connect with people? What do you think was the issue in 1999? Well, here's the like, thing oh. for me, right? And this is like how I would answer the last two questions because I, I can't personally, I mean, I probably could given enough like time to run my mouth about it, come up with reasons why like, here's why this doesn't work for me. The, the movie works for me because this is like exactly in the vein of like quirky humor that I like. So, mm -hmm. you know, it works for me, but I understand why it doesn't work for other people. And I think, I think again, it goes a little bit to what we were talking about earlier. And, and you know, you sort of cited like, you know, where do you rank this movie, you know, outside of even movies that are necessarily like, you know, the comic book movies in the nineties, but not necessarily parody. Well, I think that's it right there. You know, I think people aren't necessarily looking at this moment in time for a parody of a superhero movie. You know, I feel like parody movies pop up as a response to a lot of movies doing the same things over and over and over in a genre. I could see this movie popping up now in answer to like all the Marvel movies, you know? And I think like, again, that's... I, it's it's that it's that hindsight thing of like saying like oh you know this movie is like a little bit ahead of its time it's not like this movie citizen kane or something you know ahead of its time it's just that like i i don't think it it lives and breathes and works in the 90s cinemascape where you do have to kind of scrape the barrel a little bit for superhero movies to compare it against i think it works more these days where it's like you have all these superhero movies constantly coming out like non-stop to have something kind of like buck that tradition and do like, all right, I'm going to do something a little bit tongue in cheek, a little bit, you know, not taking myself quite as seriously, you know? So yeah, well, I think, I, I think you're right because yeah, like just in that moment, but also like, I think you have to look at Batman and Robin was like that peak of kind of superhero fatigue. Yeah. Okay. You tried to make it funny. It's not funny. We wanted it to be cool and serious. Then blade happens. People are like, okay, we want, you know, movies to be cool like this, but Blade wasn't really a comic book movie. Yeah. It's not really a superhero movie. That's not how people think of it. That's not why audiences responded to it. And so I think it was just like, yeah, like they, they had kind of hit that moment a few years prior. So it's just like, why are you doing a superhero movie? We don't like those anymore. Don't. I think that like as another like footnote too, that's probably worth mentioning is this opened against Blair Witch Project, which was yeah. huge, you know, like, to the extent that they, they, whether you think this is a, a good idea or, or a bad idea, and they maybe didn't push it far enough, they pushed it back a week from the release of Blair Witch because they heard how much hype was coming out of Sundance about it. And maybe they needed more than a week. You know what I mean? Like, I think, because I can remember classmates going crazy over like, oh, did you see Blair Witch? Oh, it's oh, really yeah. cool. You know, sort of thing. And you know, a movie like this that's kind of got like a maybe iffy, like, you know, foothold into like the, the pop culture consciousness at that moment up against something that does as well as it does in Blair Witch. I, I think it just didn't stand a chance in that in that little window. Well, because it has, critically, it has no this movie did OK. Yeah. Like, you know, like critics, were, you know, I feel like critics are never quite in tune with where like the actual average moviegoer is. It usually is always the opposite. It's like if the moviegoers are like, this movie sucks, the critics are like, oh, it's wonderful. And like very often the vice versa of that. But critics were actually pretty like positive on this movie at the time. So, you know, maybe there's even just some weird uh, 
movie hokum that that prevents a, a semi-critically well, uh, acclaimed movie from doing well in this sort of scenario. Also, a, a few weeks earlier, uh, the movie, the Will Smith Wild Wild West movie came out. <laughs> and I wonder if people were just like so bummed by how there bad might have just been movie, movie fatigue happening. There, just, like, yeah, just in general, you, are, <laughs> you know, you also in this particular summer, you've got the Phantom Menace, which people are mixed about. The Matrix came out this year also. Yeah. You know, you're talking about a lot of, you know, they also had um, Deep Blue Sea, love it or hate it. I like that movie. But like, but like not... is, is there a big comedy that came out this year? You know what I'm saying? Like, was there, were people- American Pie. Comedy? American oh. Pie was July that, 9th. That's a totally different vibe. And that's what I think. I think this movie is not cynical enough. It's not edgy enough. It's just, it's light and fun and nice, even though it's kind of slick and cool, but it's also not a recognizable IP. So there's also that, right? I hate to use that word, but that's where we're at, right? It's like, it's not anything. Nobody's heard of Mystery Men because Mystery Men didn't exist. Right. <laughs> like, Can I give you like another point of comparison too? Yes. Like, here's ahead. another thing just to think about. Another movie that came out in 1999, The Matrix. Same budget. so so look at at those two movies and what you can do with one over the other as far as like you know and again this is like a bit of a uh a uh, a comedy movie over in a dedicated action movie but this has its big action set piece elements and it's like throw those two in a in a ring together and see which one comes out you know so i think it's it's a tough time in in sort of the late 90s where you sort of have movies transitioning from what they were to what they kind of become and what we're more used to these days which are these big like cgi heavy set piece action huge you know sort of deals and it's like you have movies like the matrix that sort of redefine how you do certain levels of filmmaking and things like that and i you know this movie is kind of like a nice movie in that area you know but it's not something that um you know as as i guess uh or friends at smash mouth would say is like all that glitters is gold is this is not where that's uh landing <laughs> this one's not like a all-star kind of kind of pick i think out of the bunch yeah well the director even mentioned in an interview that i watched that he was saying like i'm glad this isn't a jim carrey vehicle it's not a nicholas cage vehicle it's a me movie so i can put all my humor in there and work with everybody to craft it the way i think it should be and yeah. so i think that is another thing against it unfortunately because it's truly an ensemble film we've yeah. tried to attach it to they maybe the nowadays because ben stiller was so big later on we think it's a ben stiller movie or william h macy we see his character get you know this great arc but but ultimately but, everybody does gets equal time yeah and so so i don't think you can't say oh like the mask nobody well, knew what the mask was but it was jim carrey and he was just breaking out at that moment you know i would also say that like the reverse of of what you just said which is somewhat my understanding is that there's a lot of stories from the set that certain people were not getting along at all in this hmm. cast and that they were sort of fighting each other over like who was going to be the good funny one in that scene or who had the best line in that scene and um, apparently um, Ben Stiller and Greg Kinnear had such a falling out on set that Ben Stiller was fighting actively to get out of his contract. And now ultimately he, he doesn't. And that's how the movie, you know, he stays in it. But he was like, I want out. I want, I'm done. You know, so like I, I think sometimes, you know, as has been evidenced all over filmmaking for a long time, when there's that kind of like 
one-upmanship and animosity on a set, sometimes it, it shows in the final product too. And, you know, I think we were praising how we felt that each of these characters were sort of, you know, had their own sort of thing. But I think maybe there's a falling apart in that too, because you ultimately have what feels like a lot of disjointed characters in their own arcs, but there's not necessarily like a great like team becoming unified arc that happens in this. You know, you don't really ever have one final scene where like everybody's working together and their powers are happening in conjunction and everything, you know, works. It's still like Ben Stiller versus, you know, uh, Casanova Frankenstein at the end. And it's sort of like they're each sort of taking on one set of people each, you know, so it's sort of like vignettes versus like a like an Avengers unified team doing a thing. So there might even be a little bit of that. I feel like that's probably like shining through for people and you either go one way on it or the other, you know. Speaking of Greg Kinnear, though, we didn't discuss his death scene. <laughs> sort of so shockingly gruesome, it's, given yeah. the tone of the rest of this movie. <laughs> like, it's so far more like grotesque and gruesome than anything else that happens in this movie. How they accidentally electrocute him and like melt his body and torch him. <laughs> To the point where Janine Garofalo goes to like take his pulse and his arm just crumbles. <laughs> I'm like, what the? And, and by the way, they're all gnarled they, and stuff. They killed a guy. Now, like we as the audience don't necessarily like him because we we see sort of like what a corporate shill he is. But they killed somebody. <laughs> you know, like, and they got away with it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and Casanova's death is, is similarly gruesome. It's all CG, yeah. but he's fallen down and he gets all gnarled and rips in yeah. half. And you're like, what? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, like, it's it's all pretty intense. But, yeah, that's the thing about this movie is that that's where it does have that little bit of an edge. I do want to add to just that Michael mentioned it very briefly at the beginning. But, the, you know, the scientist, Dr. Heller, the inventor who gives them all their weapons like i love the tornado in a can like <laughs> yes. all you know the the shrinker the clothes shrinker all that stuff is so funny but like that's tom waits you know so i don't know if you guys know his music you know but it's, yeah but he has a fair amount of acting and i just thought he was really funny in his role especially like his earliest line like when they're talking to him they're like and uh the shoveler's like oh no yeah we'll come back and visit all you people he's like no no i don't live here man i'm here for the chicks <laughs> When he sends them off in that vehicle, he goes, Vaya con Dios. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, another so... thing to, to look at with him is like, watch how much he's like doing stuff with his hands. He had most of his lines written on his hands because he couldn't put any of them into memory. Oh, <laughs> really? That's funny. Yes. Yeah, but I, I think he's just like, again, like he could have just been a weirdo one-off character, but I feel like he really fits well in their group and like they have really good rhythms together. But he, I remember in one of the interviews I saw, he said that Paul Rubens, he was like, I went to him and he was coaching me on how to deliver these lines and really make it work. I was like, that's that's cool. They're helping you. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Listen, o overall, like this is a very enjoyable film and, you know, it's it's kind of a bummer that it's, it, unless you have stars, you have to like rent it or some of that because it's hard to find on streaming anywhere. But it's a fun, you know, turn your brain off for two hours. And it's a two hour movie. Like it doesn't, they don't cut it short. Like it's not like a hundred, like an hour and 45 minutes or whatever. They go a full two hours on Which it. Which that might be problematic too, because we're more used to two plus hour movies these days. In the 90s, that was still a little faux pas at the time. Yeah. And I think that they said there's even like a, 
closer to three hour cut of this movie. You know, oh, wow. you, you talked about the deleted scenes. I saw yeah. one of them where you have Louis Guzman is in it. Yeah. And they go to order some, you know, tacos and Mexican food from him, like thinking he's a superhero, but then he never shows up. Like it's pretty hilarious. Like, you know, yeah. so there's a lot of good stuff out there, but yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, I think if those of you listening out there have not seen Mystery Men in a while, if you were kind of like me in the theater, like when I first saw it, like, ah, I don't know if I get this. And then, you know, you haven't revisited it since I, I would recommend giving it another watch, find it on Amazon, rent it for three bucks, four bucks, however much. It, I think they only have an HD. I don't think you can get the SD version for a little bit cheaper, <laughs> $2.99. You're like, oh, <laughs> but either way, like, I, I think it's worth checking out. Or if you happen to have VCR like me, I have two copies on VHS that they're at all the thrift stores you'll be able to find some mystery men don't worry uh but yeah I think definitely especially in retrospect to all the work we've seen from these people after the fact uh it'll be even more appreciated so speaking of that like like you said if this came out you know Ben Stiller a la like you know dodgeball like right around that time along king polly yeah yeah, it might have gotten more eyes on it because like those movies were so popular and would have drawn him to the theater whereas as much as i love jeffrey rush if you cast a jim carrey as the villain in this movie that would have got people in the theater too because they saw him as the villain as the riddler and this and that you know but like I think everybody was well cast in the movie. Everyone was, you know, it just, it was in a moment of time where like people weren't ready for this kind of movie. And I think now us in our forties appreciate it even more than we did when we were in our late teens, you know, it's so bizarre. Yeah. Well, it has been done in different ways, but I feel always more extreme ways. It really is the heart of this movie that is so like effective and wonderful because like, when you look at a movie like super, you know, James Gunn doing that, or what was that one? Is it, is it just called hero? What, what's the one with Woody Harrelson where he was a, a super, super violent superhero. Do you remember that one? It's like most people, I don't even think remember this. I saw it in the theater. Woody it's, Harrelson. Yeah. Yeah. Look it up. There's, this Woody Harrelson movie he did it's almost exactly like the movie Super like they're, they're they go hand in hand uh, but also Kick-Ass the Kick-Ass movies were very much in this vein right it's like this is what being a superhero is then you find out oh no it's not you know you're a wannabe superhero so it did have success later on so 100% that theory is correct that ultimately people did you know catch on to that vibe it just we needed a few more years of superhero movies and <laughs> successful superhero movies where people said oh okay now now it's something we actually care about so the parody makes sense this movie is like sort of like built and destined to fit into like that kind of cult movie genre and the movie i'm thinking of again very dissimilar but it's it's a spoof movie in a way as well is wet hot american summer yeah and it it shares it's almost like a cousin to this movie and like some of that like humor and like some of the silliness that it has but also sort of like trying to tell like a cohesive like you know decent story over the course of it um and that's another one where like if you love it you know and you love it and it's wonderful but there's a lot of people that have never heard of it and people that would put it on and be like what the hell is this you know so i think there's this kind of like set of movies that are like this that kind of 
if you know, you know, and you like it, you like it, and and everybody else is just going to kind of be like, I'd rather watch something else. You know. Well, speaking of which, I I act that did cross my mind. I 100 was on the same wavelength because I was like, I would love to see Mystery Men now, just like they did with Wet Hot American Summer and did all those sequel series. Bring them back, get that group together again. Yeah. And then like bring in a few new, you know, comedians and people to to mix it up and see what it's like, like trading the new group or whatever, you know, or the it's, next year. See if the they've added movie. in like Kevin Hart into that movie, uh, into a new version. <laughs> I think I they, they could do something very fun and funny with it. And not for nothing, um, I did see something that a couple of years ago, um, some talk show host or another asked Ben Stiller, would he do another one? And he's like, I would. He's like. I ended up having a lot of fun on that. And he's like, I think there's still some rage in me somewhere that I could, you know, <laughs> bring to the rules. Yeah, so I, 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 I think I'd, I'd get a kick out of seeing like oh, Kevin Horn, Owen Wilson into there as well. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah I you can do something uh, really fun with, with Kevin it. Hart, but I, I was thinking Kevin James. I was like, if you want Kevin James in there, I'm not interested. <laughs> Kevin Hart, okay. There's so many Kevins out there. But yeah. And that, that, but yeah, so we're we're on board. If uh, Ben Stiller feels the vibe and he wants to pull everybody together on that, I would love to see it. I'd plop down my, you know, I'd buy a new streaming sc- subscription if I have to, or if you can get into theaters, all the better. So, all right. Well, hey, guys, good discussion here. I'm glad for once we finally got to have a, a super positive conversation all the way around. Michael, you feeling good? <laughs> I feel good. Feel good. <laughs> I've had two drinks also, so that helps. Oh, that that yes. always takes the edge off there. Yes. <laughs> everybody thank you so much for checking out this episode we're going to be back around who knows what will come up on the docket for our patrons to vote on for us to discuss next so if you want to be a part of that be sure to jump on to patreon.com forward slash wizards comics join our crew an exclusive elite group of mystery men indeed but hey thanks so much for joining us and we'll check you next time This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.